We know that many of our readers like to share their copy of the Church Times with others. That may not be possible at the moment. As an alternative, we're offering a short-term discounted subscription, just £1 a week for 10 weeks. That includes UK delivery and there's no obligation to renew. You can purchase the subscription for yourself or as a gift for someone else. You'd enjoy all of our usual subscriber benefits, the paper in the post each week, all the news at churchtimes.co.uk, access to the digital archive, the app for iPhone and iPad, and listening to this podcast. To purchase a subscription, go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash 10 hyphen weeks. Steve, you've written an article for our VE Day issue this week celebrating the work of Forces Chaplains. As we mark VE Day, why, why do you think it's important that we pay tribute to the work of chaplains? I think the more you read about the, the horror that was, that was uh, you know, the, what it, the horror that is war, um, you realise that there was just such a need to have people right in the front line who could be with people, who could mourn with them, who could encourage them. And I, I know from not just my reading, but some of my own stories in my own family, that, that padres, as, as you know, were, were essential to the kind of well-being of, of, the, of the forces. And I suppose it's a really interesting kind of um, metaphor, really, for the, for the faith and for leading in the faith. I, I often think that uh, you know, we often get the, the image of God as the shepherd, don't we? And we think of shepherds on their quad bikes, whatever they are now. But shepherds were really, really brave. You know, shepherds were there, even though there were lions and bears and robbers, you know, shepherds were there in the really, really tough and violent places, protecting those animals and communities that needed it. So I suppose in a way, I think it's, it's just really, really resonant. And they have, it has a long history, doesn't it? Chaplaincy in battle. Yeah, I mean, it goes right back to the Israelites, whose priests were right there at the front, you know, um, with with the with with the with the with the fighters, with the battlers. I always think it's really interesting in Lord of the Rings, actually, where you know Gandalf, he's not at the back. He's he's a kind of priest, really. He's right at the front with his staff and everything else, leading leading the uh, the battle. So I suppose there's a long, long history, and, and in, within the army, of course, and, and the armed forces, you know, it goes back a couple of hundred years. We've had them for a long time. And you start your um, piece in our faith section this week um, with the story of Captain Leslie Skinner. C- could you tell us a bit about him? Yeah, I mean, he was, um, he couldn't get into the army because he was too old when war broke out. So he kind of enlisted as a, uh, he, was, he was a vicar, enlisted as a, as a chaplain. And um, he was there on, on D-Day. There's it, it, some really, really touching things. Because, you know, when you think about what we're a chaplain do, we might pray. But the chaplain also ministered to those who were dying, helped the helped the um, the first aiders, and and what he did was he realised that you know it was really distressing if your friends had been they called it cooked you know in a tank had been hit and they'd all been burned to death, so he on his own would go into the tank and identify the bodies and really kind of um, do the stuff that normally the army would do just to try if he could to kind of. Um, you know take the weight the emotional weight off the men so i can't quite imagine how 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 he how he coped with it i mean i don't know what would he have been like when he came home i I don't know whether i could have coped with it but you know he was there as a rock and the men loved him absolutely loved him you write that he wanted to protect them from some of the horror there's horror enough isn't there in war but he was just trying to do something that they didn't could protect them from some of the absolute worst horror of it 
That's right. I mean, in a sense, you know, Christ on the cross is doing the same for us, isn't he? I mean, you know, he's protecting us from some of the horror, well, from all of the horror in a way. And I think there's something really profound when you read about some of the stuff happening in the NHS, those frontline workers, what they're seeing on a day-to-day -day basis. They, they must be really suffering and there'll be a reckoning for them. And I think what the padres and probably hospital chaplains are doing at the moment is a safety valve, just a little safety valve to help them survive it. I think what really comes through in your piece is that um, being a chaplain in, in the war is, is absolutely frontline work and it's dangerous and it, it requires, I mean, it's, it requires heroism, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think what I like about it is it redraws the map of heroism. It, it widens the scope of it. I think that's, again, a quite a profound thing for now, because I think we've redrawn the map of heroism in our own society. We, we, we're beginning to understand how courageous it is to be sacrificial. And I think that's something that's a, a real change. I mean, you know, we would at one point society looked down on cleaners or whatever, or people working in, in jobs in the hospital. But now we know that they are they are our absolute heroes. They are our heroes. And, and the same, I think, was happened with Padres. Padres didn't take up a gun, but they were they were heroes nonetheless. And, you know, I suppose I'm the generation that never had to fight a war. You know, my, my, my father fought, but I didn't. I've never been in a situation of, of life or death in that way. And so I'm, I, I suppose I look on it and just want to celebrate and to do what I can to say thank you. You, you mentioned that chaplains don't, didn't carry guns, so they were on the front line with the men, but without any weapons themselves. So that, that made them in, in some sense quite vulnerable. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, 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 didn't, they didn't carry guns. I mean, if they were suddenly confronted with someone with a gun, they were, they were probably in, in, in quite a lot of, of trouble. But I suppose in a way it's, um, they didn't want to carry guns. It isn't just they didn't. It, you know, the, 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 it's a statement, isn't it, that you will stand beside people in their suffering, as they did, but they weren't going to kill anyone. And that was, just, that was just what they were doing. And I suppose in a way, it's the, um, the active side of a kind of pacifism that's, um, that's really good. Although, you know, many of those partners, I'm sure, believed that the war had to, be, had to be done. I mean, you know, we were fighting Nazism. And um, what I know is if the Nazis have won, you know, my mother is um, is Jewish. If the Nazis have won, yeah, I wouldn't be here. So I'm grateful that they fought. You know, sometimes soldiers, you know, we've got our freedom because of soldiers. Yeah, that's 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 a, that's an absolute hundred percent truth. It reminds me actually, my um, my grandfather was an army chaplain, Reverend Harrison Thornton, in the it was the North Kent Regiment, and he um, not carrying a gun. My my dad told me that he was going round a. Um, a cemetery in Italy saying any wounded, as I guess chaplains would, just to see if there's anyone who needed ministry or, or help. Um, and when he said that, five Germans jumped up and surrendered because they knew he wasn't carrying a, well, they saw his clerical collar and knew that he wasn't carrying a gun and he actually received a um, distinguished service order for that. So, um, yeah, interesting. That's absolutely, what an incredibly wonderful story. I mean, interestingly, when, when the surrenders happened, often the German troops would help in the British um, hospitals, helping British troops. I mean, the, the, regular, the regular German army who surrendered were, were frequently happy that they were out, out, out of it and they would, they, would, um, they would come and help us, you know, ministering to our troops. My, I was also told by my dad that my, my grandfather would, um, before battle, I think, hold, you know, communion services and say to troops, you know, quite bluntly, um, some of you 
will die very soon. So here's your chance to to make peace with God. Apparently, he was reprimanded for that for being too kind of evangelical or evangelistic. But I mean, what was that a part that a, a, you know something that chaplains did at a sort of evangelistic role in war, saying to people, yeah, you know. yeah. And honestly, nothing. I remember speaking to um, Richard Buse, the great Richard Buse, once about this, um, and he said to me, he was the uh, the vicar at All Souls. Wasn't mm. it? Yeah. And he said to me, um, his father had been a vicar and his father used to say that people would often say, well, look, I'll, I'll right at the end of my life, they would say, I'll make a commitment to God. But I'll wait. I'll leave it till then. And he, he, his dad used to say that he didn't know one person who got their timing right. You know, so it's really important if you're given the chance to do it. And I think I think the men knew that they really did. They were, they were very open to God. I, I think it was a. I think what what um, the Padres did in that circumstance, offer people a chance to come to Christ, was a was a was a wonderful and kindly act. You know, and if I had if I'd been a non-Christian and I was there with my my rifle, I, I'd have I'd have pinned my hopes on God because there wasn't any, many other places to go, were there? No. And presumably this was a time when the country was much less secular, many more people attended church or had grown up going to church. So I guess for many there was either an existing faith or a sort of latent faith from their childhood there. That's true. I mean, we're in a totally post-church generation. I mean, you know, in a way we're, we're, it's an opportunity because when we, we say the things that we're hopeful in, we say that we talk a bit about Jesus and about the, the sense of renewal people are amazed and they've never heard of it. So in a way, I just think we've got, I, I'm, I'm not that downcast by that. You know, I, I actually think we've got a, we've moved away from a kind of rather passive um, sense of belonging to a club to a much more um, openness to ideas, especially big ideas. I, I, I never have any problem when I speak to people about my faith. They're happy to hear. And I think, you know, that's something I remind myself of. You tell us a bit about your, um, personal story that you say you have a particular reason to be thankful for army chaplains having been entrusted with an odd family secret yes you know it's funny isn't it fans occasionally i mean what i've noticed is especially when people have say fought and they get old older they sometimes have been keeping stuff bottled up you know and they'll and they'll kind of blurt it out but what happened to us was i had a, a one of my uncle who'd been a, a paratrooper and uh, had fought uh, he fought in korea and you know he was a uh, he always spoke about the army. He loved the army, and he, and he was very proud that he'd been a, a paratrooper. But he once—he told me just really quite before he died, and didn't tell anyone else. I think it's because I'm a vicar that he told me that at one point he was on patrol, and a one of the enemy jumped out with a gun and, shot, and at, pointing at him, and he told me that he, he shot this young man straight through the head and killed him. And that he 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 he'd killed other people, but this one really really disturbed him, and he couldn't rest, and he didn't know what to do with himself. So when he got back to base, he went to see the padre, and I remember my my uncle said to me that he felt that the padre had saved his life. He said he didn't know how he could possibly have gone on, and just that little time with the padre, praying, speaking, and telling his story, had really really kind of helped him. He used to say to me, he loved padres because they were the only priests you could swear in front of. And he said to me, uh, Steve, I would, I want you to be a vicar like that. So I'm not advocating coming and swearing at me, but I would like to be the kind of priest where people feel able to be themselves. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You write that nothing shocks padres, and they don't judge. They understand what happens when people feel in peril for their lives. 
yeah exactly and i think um one of the things i've, I've realized is as a priest you know i want to do a lot less talking and a lot more listening you know i think if i did 20 percent talking and 80 percent listening and hearing people's stories i mean they're proper stories i mean the things that disturb them that have happened to them they want they want out they want they want to be out into the open one you become unshockable in the best way i mean you know no one wants to hear bad stuff but also you're the person that can be there to listen and i think that's one of the things that padres were able to do amidst the clamor and noise of the gunfire they they, they were there to listen as much as to evangelize the streets were full in london on tuesday the victory day for the european war but the churches were also thronged all day with enthusiastic worshippers alike in the capital and in the provinces. At St Paul's and the Abbey it was necessary to hold successive services at intervals of an hour throughout the afternoon. The cessation of hostilities in Europe, with all that it means of immediate relief from strain and suffering, did not find the British people unmindful of the true source of all their good. Thanks be to God for his immeasurable mercies. There was satisfaction in the sight among the English crowds of many comrades from abroad, from the Dominions, the United States and other Allied nations. It is to be regretted that circumstances had not brought a comparable contingent of Russians to these shores to share in the nation's joy. But we hope to see them often in the future, in the shaping of which they have so great a part to play, alongside the other forces of civilization. One side of the world has now been freed. It remains to liberate the other before peace can return to mankind. Meantime, for great sections of the human race, the task of rebuilding from the ruins of the war a nobler, worthier and more righteous order of society can be begun. Let there be no mistake. The peace of man depends on following the righteousness of God. So, after all the milling and the mafficking, off with the funny paper hats and on with the work of God. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. The music for this podcast was provided by Sought After Sounds. Tune in next Friday for the next episode.